So good to be with you this Easter Sunday. Happy Easter, everybody. If I haven't had the, the pleasure of getting to meet you yet, my name is Joe Polino. I serve as the lead pastor here and I just wanted to welcome you to church today. Uh, this is a tradition I didn't grow up with, but the last few years it's become a tradition that I love and that's on Easter, Easter Sunday, we greet each other with one person saying, he is risen, and the other person saying, he is, he is risen indeed. So now that everyone is up to speed, when I say he is risen, I want you to respond, he is risen indeed, okay? You guys ready? Okay. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Way to go. Well done. Well done. Uh, well, I was uh, thinking about Easter traditions like that one, that greeting. Uh, I was actually talking to a friend of mine at a, uh, a kid's uh, party. It was actually an adoption party yesterday for Sebastian Debrat. There we go. The Debrats adopted Sebastian and we were there to celebrate. And I was talking to one of my friends, David, and he, we got to talking about Easter experiences and just traditions that we would have as a kid because he has a young daughter. And she so was like, what kind of traditions do we wanna put in place for her uh, for, uh, for them to be both fun and meaningful. So I got to thinking about my own traditions that I grew up in, and I grew up in Garland, Texas. And so Easter to me was a combination of getting dressed up for church in uncomfortable clothes, <laughs> Easter egg hunts with candy in the eggs, right? Maybe you would dye an egg, although I did not like to eat them afterwards. And then there was this this. Uh, this other tradition that is specific, I think, to Texas, and that as you were dressed up in your uncomfortable clothes, you had to go find a patch of blue bonnets as a family somewhere along the side of the road, normally along a busy highway. You, you, and and this, this is what you did after church. It's like, you know, you're hungry and like, mom, and like, no, we are getting this picture. You are all dressed up. We are looking for blue bonnets. And so if you are not from Texas, uh, this might be a little weird to you, but I have proof that, that, uh, that is proof that at one point, my mom did make this happen. She was successful. So those are me and my siblings. So I'm actually, I, th I think I'm about 16 years old. So that's 22 years ago. And my brother and my two sisters are there with me. Uh, my brother, man, uh, praise God for dental work. My brother's here in the front row and he looks great. He looks great. You know, it's funny. I think actually all my siblings are here. We should do a 2023 version of this photo. Yeah, the people have spoken. We need to make that happen. Um, so, you know, I don't know what Easter Sunday was like for you. Maybe it was like that experience that I had. It was a combination of family things that were somewhat painful, but you just kind of got through them. And then things that you would enjoy, maybe candy or eggs and, and going to church. But for me, nothing too meaningful really or interested beyond those things. Like Easter to me back then ranked well below Christmas on holidays. It just was like not not one that I was particularly looking forward to. You know, maybe you're kind of like that today where this is a ritual, a tradition for your family to come to church. If you are, welcome. And maybe this is your first Easter Sunday experience or maybe your first in a long time. 
and maybe you're invited by a friend or family member and you were kind enough to accept, or maybe you're curious enough, you reached a point in your life where it's not just about the traditions, you really wanna hear about the meaning of Easter. And then I know this is true for many of us in the room that Easter, while there are family traditions that we enjoy, that it's not about uh, those things, that this day is actually ground zero for your life of your source of hope, your source of joy, your source of identity, that this day is the day which is the fountainhead with, with, from which all good things flow downstream, okay? So wherever you're at today though, I believe God has something for you. So we are going to dive in. And what we're gonna talk about today is the meaning of Easter. And a little word on that, a spoiler alert, Easter is all about salvation. Salvation. Now, salvation is a, is a churchy word, but really what it means is it's about healing. Salvation is about healing. And whether or not you grow up in a Christian home where you're familiar with the term salvation in church, we all look for this in different ways. We all look for healing in the deepest sense or satisfaction or joy unthinkable or things that satisfy our soul. That is salvation. And the meaning of Easter has to do with salvation. And so here are the three things that as we look at God's word, we're gonna see is the meaning of Easter. Number one is that you were dead. Number two, but God. Number three, made us alive with Christ. So that's the meaning of Easter. That's what we're gonna read, that number one, you were dead. Number two, but God. Number three, he made us alive with Christ. So please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter two, and that's where we're gonna be today. You can use the Bible under your seats in front of you, and you can turn to page 947 if you'd like. And if you don't have a Bible or you'd like a new one, that is our gift to you this Easter. You can take that Bible. You can also follow along on the screen. The scripture will be up there if you prefer. So as we're turning to Ephesians chapter two, I wanna give a little context for what we're about to read. As a church, we've actually been going through Ephesians, but just to bring everyone up to speed, is that Ephesians is a letter written by a man named Paul. He's an apostle Paul. He's one of the church leaders. And it's written to a church in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is located in what is now modern day Turkey. And back then, Ephesus was a big deal. Think modern day Seattle or New York City. If you come from those cities, you're normally proud that, hey, I'm a, I'm a New Yorker. Or I, I, I like being a, what's a Seattletonian? I don't know what that is. Seattleite, do we have, a, yeah, well, that's, a, that's a former, that's a Seattleite right there. So you would say, I am an Ephesian. You know, you would have this sense of pride. One of the reasons is because this was a major place of trade and commerce. It's a port city that was the bridge between the Greco-Roman world and all of Asia. So lots of business went down in Ephesus. Another thing that was big in Ephesus is that there was a lot of religious pagan worship and occult practices. You can go back and, and, and look at uh, something called the Ephesian writings uh, and uh, archeologists have found this and it's basically a book of spells and magic arts because in Ephesus, uh, they were not a Jewish background uh, believing people. They actually came from a background of believing and worshiping many different idols and many different gods. So that's important for us to, to know before we dive in. Also, just a little history on the church in Ephesus. 
So Paul started the church in Ephesus with a few people. He shared the good news about Jesus and that he is alive and the, the message of the gospel, which we're about to go through. And then a few people started becoming disciples and this spread and this spread to the point where revival broke out in this city. People were healed and it disrupted the idle businesses in that day where people were rioting. And when they converted to Christianity, there were spell books that were burned publicly, a bonfire of spell books, but these books were worth a lot of money. And the book of Acts says that the equivalent of about $6 million was burned in the streets saying that we're done with this and we're gonna follow Jesus. So there was this revival happening of not just, this letter isn't just cold doctrine, this is alive and he is speaking to them saying, I want you to keep going. And actually Paul is writing for, to them from prison. He's from prison and he doesn't ask them, hey, would you send money? Hey, could you send a lawyer? Hey, could you get me out of here? He's writing content that would shape them and would shape the church for thousands of years. So that's what we are gonna read today. In Ephesians 1, which we looked at a, little, a few weeks ago, just to sum up, he praises God, he erupts and does a long run on sentence. But he says this, he said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, the Father has chose us and adopted us. The Son, Jesus, has redeemed and forgiven us and the Holy Spirit has sealed and filled us. And so then he's like, I don't want them to just understand this in their heads. I want this to be in their hearts. I want them to understand this. So he prays. He prays that their hearts would see this, that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. And then he continues to pray. And this is what we're gonna read. Ephesians 2 is actually a continuation of that prayer. So you guys ready to read it? Okay. I like context. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. This is what it says. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're gonna go through this step by step. So point one, the meaning of Easter is that you were dead. Let's read again in verse one and two. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of, air, of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, what is going on here? Paul is painting a picture for them to remember where they came from before Christ. But Paul is writing to people who are very much alive, so why does he say that they're dead? Well, what he's saying is not that they're physically dead, but that they are spiritually dead, or they used to be 
at one time spiritually dead. We have a, a diagram up here that might be helpful uh, in, in, in getting to the heart of this. So if someone was to come up to you and say, hey, who are you? And you share your name and they're like, no, 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 who are you? What would you say? Maybe you would say, well, I'm, I'm a pastor. Or maybe for you, fill in your job. I'm a teacher. I am a landscaper. I'm a student. You know, you're describing who you are and they say, yeah, yeah, I know. not that. Like, that's your job. Who are you? Who are you? And she's like, okay, I guess to go a little deeper, well, I, I'm a husband or I'm a father or I'm a son. And you talk, talking about the relational roles that are important in your life because those are important to you. And he's like, yeah, those are key relationship roles, but I'm gonna go for, like, who are you? And at this point, you're kind of running out of options. You're like, well, I'm like five foot 11, like physical traits, like I have green eyes. Like, what do you want? Like my birthday or social, you know, you're, you're kind of like, what? I, there's personality traits. And you might even just get to be a little testy, like, hey, you know, back off, man. What are you, what are you doing? You're looking into my soul. And he, and he would say, yes, actually, that's what I'm getting at. And that's what this passage is getting at. He's getting at your soul. He's saying you're spiritually dead in your soul. And that diagram, we kind of have layers to who we are. We don't think about that this much because it all just kind of merges into one. But we have our outward body and then we have our mind, our emotions and our will. And then at the center is our soul, which it says God in the center there. That's what we're made for. We're made for our spirit or our soul to be alive with God. And we also don't think about the word death that much uh, in, a, in a, at least I don't, in a way like, what does it actually mean besides someone stop, stop, stopping breathing? But death is a separation of the soul and the body. So you see here, it says physically alive. The Greek word for your physical body is bios. So say, say bios. Bios is where we get the term biology. So that is, you know, just the actual life. My heart is beating. My lungs are taking in air, my physical body. When, when you are physically alive, your soul and your body are in union. When you die, your soul and your body are separated, right? Where spiritually, it's, it's similar, but it's a different term. In the Greek, to be spiritual, spiritually alive is the word zoe. Say zoe. Zoe, it's good Greek food. Uh, although you, uh, kava's better. But zoe, zoe is that spiritual life that when the soul is in union with God, that's the zoe life. And when your soul is separate from God, then you're spiritually dead. And that's what Paul's talking about here. In one of the most famous New Testament verses uh, in John three sixteen, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That word life is zoe, that you would not perish in spiritual death, but you would have eternal life. That's why Jesus came. He came for your soul to be reunited with God. So you might be like, okay, uh, I'm tracking with you. But what does this actually mean? What does this matter to us? Because I have some questions. Are you telling me that if I don't believe in Jesus that I'm spiritually dead? Like I can't offer anything good. Isn't that offensive? Like if you were to start a letter to someone and say, dear friend, I think you're spiritually dead. That would be a little bit uh, offensive. You know, it's kind of like saying you're dead inside. Like that's essentially what you're saying. 
And so just to clarify a few things of what this, mean, this does not mean, this is what it's not saying. What it's not saying is that if you don't believe in Jesus, that you're incapable of doing good things. I think I can speak for myself. I think we would all agree there are people in our lives, organizations uh, that we respect that are doing really good work that are not Jesus followers, right? It doesn't mean that you can't do good things. That's not what this is saying. And it's not saying that you don't have interest in spiritual things. In fact, most people, if you just were to survey off the street, would say that they are a spiritual person. They're open to spiritual things. So that's not what it's saying. But I wanna be really clear. This is what it's saying. It is saying that being spiritually dead means that there is a separation between your soul and God because of your trespasses and sin that no amount of good works can make up for. That's what he's saying. There is a separation between your soul and God because of our sins that no one can make up for with good works. That's what he's saying. You cannot make yourself spiritually alive by doing good works. As good as good works are, you cannot make yourself spiritually alive. There's no amount of hoops to jump through or good deeds. You were dead. Dead people cannot help themselves. They are dead. Spiritually, you were in the same condition. It says we all were. So then what do we do with that? Well, we need to acknowledge our desperate situation before God that we were spiritually dead, that we were helpless. And in fact, Paul goes on to describe what this state was. And he says, when you were dead, you were following three things. Said that you were following the world, you were following the devil, you were following, follow, following the flesh, okay? So this is not the main message of Easter, but without this backdrop, it really doesn't make sense. So we're gonna go through just a word on each of these. So in Ephesians 2, one through 10, it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. So what does it mean to follow the ways of the world? I mean, the ways of the world change every few years, right? I remember when I first went to college, I went to a Christian university and this was in 2003 and there was buzz on the campus because the, the college allowed social dances to be uh, a, a thing. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Footloose is a thing? Like it's actually real? Like, and then later on, it's like, well, that's, that's ridiculous. Like the ways of the world are, are so different for that university. And you can apply that to so many different contexts you know, the, the ways of the world. What is the way of the world? Well, the ways of the world are value systems that we have that don't have God at the center. So this could change drastically from context to context. You know, maybe the ways of the world to say that you're supposed to value money or career or happiness or sexuality or family and the value system that God would have is very different than the world. Sometimes those things overlap, but a lot of times they're in contrast. So we were given to following whatever way of the world that we are born into. And we don't understand sometimes the water we're swimming in or the current that we're in. I mean, if you think about it, uh, if, if you were born back when the, the, in the Iron Curtain in the Soviet Union, whether you wanted to or not, you were under the ruler of communist government. You were under the reign. If you, I mean, think about modern day North Korea or back in World War II, like you didn't have a choice, but you were born into it. That's kind of what he's saying here. 
is that the ways of the world, you were born into that. You were dead and you had to follow the ways of the world. So then the next one it says is that you followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's the devil. So it says this phrase kingdom of the air actually means foggy atmosphere, foggy atmosphere. There is a ruler over this foggy atmosphere, this realm. Now it may seem backwards for us today to talk about the devil or demons because we are enlightened, right? We are past those things. Science has disproved those things for many of us. But it says here that we were dead and that we followed Satan. Now I don't think there's, there's I haven't, haven't met yet someone who would say that they're a self-identified Satanist here, you know, that they would believe in that. Uh, if you are, you are welcome here. Donnie would love to meet you at Discover Antioch afterwards, uh, and I would too, sincerely, but that's just not something that we think about. But in Jesus's day and in the Ephesians day, spiritual activity was a lot more overt. It was in your face. It was visible. And in our day, in the West, it's a lot more covert. It's behind the scenes. And we could probably say that even though there is a lot of explanations for some of the evil things in the world, at some point you kind of run out of ideas and you're just like, yeah, that's a presence of something that is, is evil and that's wrong. And this is the worldview of Jesus and it's the worldview of actually most of the world today, that there is a spiritual realm and that there is demonic activity and there is activity um, that, that it says here that when we were dead, we had to follow him. We had to follow the devil. Pretty sobering. So then the last part, it says that we also followed our flesh. It says, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. And just a quick note on this, if you go back to that, thinking about that picture of that graph where it had the body and it had the mind, will, and emotions, what would it be like if you just reacted just on your mind and your emotions and your will and you didn't consider any of the consequences of anyone else? What would it look like? It would look like chaos. I mean, just apply that to any small area. You know, apply that to a grocery store. Like, hey, everything's free game. Like, it would be insane. Yeah, or traffic, you know, kind of like the high five in Dallas. Like, sometimes it feels like that. But just people doing what they want. That's the cravings of the flesh that we were not able to actually get past that. So that is the condition that Paul is saying that we were in. But then he says this. He says that, all of us were also like them and we were deserving of wrath, deserving of wrath. Uh, now, most of us don't like to talk about the wrath of God and some of you right now might be nervous of like, hey, I invited my friend, like this is not the time to give that message. This is not, po- this is not a positive thing. But I, I just wanna submit to you that even if the wrath of God has been abused and uh, maybe overemphasized in, in past decades of Christianity, what I would say is that we also have within us a healthy wrath when we see injustice in the world. When we see children caught in sex trafficking, what's your response? Is it passivity? No. Is, is, it, is it, hey, you know, I, you know I, I'm sure their intentions, you know, they maybe. No, it's that justice needs to be done. And you apply that to where there's righteous laws that are not upheld, there's a wrath that comes up. That's actually an attribute from God. God actually has a wrath of justice and there's wrath when justice isn't done. 
And so I wanna put up just a few divine attributes of who God is. And by far the most leading and repeated attributes of God is that he is loving, he is merciful, he is steadfast, but also says that he is slow to anger, slow to wrath, but we cannot remove that because then he's not good. He's not good. He's not whole. So there is a wrath, there is a price to be paid. And as Paul's painting the picture of where we've been, he says, and we too were a part of it. We weren't just victims of the world of flesh and the devil. We were partakers of it. We weren't just oppressed by these rulers. We oppressed others. We are caught up in the mess and we are the ones that he's trying to save. So what does he do? Does he just leave us there? No. And that's our next point of the meaning of Easter. You were dead, but God, but God. It says in Ephesians chapter two, let's read on. It says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. So these two syllables of but God are the greatest two syllables in the entire Bible because this is the story of the gospel. This is the story of who God is and that he didn't leave us where we were or where we deserved, but he came and got us. He came and rescued us. He figured out the plan of how to satisfy the wrath of God, but also giving us mercy and grace in exchange. How did he do that? It says, like the rest, we were deserving of wrath, but God didn't give us the wrath we deserve. Jesus took it on himself at the cross. But God didn't leave us under the rule of the devil. He redeemed us from the devil by payment of his very blood on the cross, the blood of the son. But God didn't abandon us to the cravings of our flesh. Instead, he gave us the Holy Spirit to wage war against the flesh and to live in an opposite spirit. He made us new, but God didn't leave us dead in our sins, but he made us alive in Christ. This is the story of Easter. This is the story of who God is and that he is alive and he's still on the move today. Amen, church? And I know that even in this room right now that there are but God stories for many of us. I know that some of them uh, in this room came from a place of shame and rejection, but God has loved me because he's loved me because he's loved me. And your identity isn't marked by your past sin. It's marked by, I am loved by God. I'm holy and blameless in his sight. I know for others, but God's story is that you were lonely or rejected or had no friends, but God was a friend that stuck closer than a brother. And he put me into his church and I have a purpose. I know another, many of us are also, uh, or just thinking about uh, this morning about some of the medical diagnosis that people had were like, you are 99% not going to have a child, but God, but God. And then you can just all say, what are our but God stories in this room that he has done and that we get to celebrate? But why did he do it? Why did he do it? Well, this is reasons why he did it that we've read that I just wanna highlight. It says in verse four, he made us alive because of his great love for us. He made us alive and intervened because he's rich in mercy. He did it because of his incomparable riches of grace, because of his kindness to us in Christ, because it's a free gift of grace, because we are his handiwork, because God created us with good works for us to do. Ma'am. So I know for many of us, maybe this is a familiar message, but 
I also know in this room that those but God stories, it's not just a one-time thing, but oftentimes God just continues to bring it up. If we can bring back up that picture of my family, man, I just was reflecting on this picture and it was 22 years ago and how much life has happened since then and some of the but God moments. And I was remembering one of my siblings, I'm not gonna say who, but one of my siblings, so I'm the oldest, as you can tell, and man, at one point, I was like coming back to my family from college and saying, do y'all know like Jesus, you could actually have a relationship with him? Like he's real? Like he really is the way, truth, and life? Like not just a test, like uh, answer, like it's, he's real? And like, you know, my siblings were like, yeah, you know, teenagers at that time, uh, somewhat interested, somewhat not. But over time, like as I just kept like praying for them and wanting them to experience what I had experienced, that there were moments where they were saying like, hey, I want to know God like that, but it feels like my prayers are hitting a ceiling. It feels like I'm blocked and I don't know why. And I remember saying, well, I don't know why you're blocked. You don't know why you're blocked, but God does. So let's pray. And so we prayed and I felt like God gave me a picture of a velvet rope around three dark stones. That doesn't happen to me often, but I said, hey, I'm getting this picture. Does that mean anything? And the person began crying because there were three acts in the past that he hadn't told anybody that he felt shame for. Well, there you go. <laughs> I was so good. Do you want to tell this story? But that's the story of the gospel. And he, didn't, he hadn't told anybody yet. And then in that, he was giving that to the, he was like, and, and, and I, said, I said in that, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. He doesn't want you to hold that anymore. Give it to him. And when he did, you can ask him about it, but what he told me was that the, the script of his life flipped. And his life was like, at one point, like I am trying to find God and I can't find him, so I'm gonna quit and he must not care or he's not good. And when that that penny dropped and it flipped that but God moment, he all of a sudden saw all the ways that God had been chasing him when he had been running away his entire life. And we need those moments in our life, not just one time, but constant reminders of those but God flipping the script moments, amen? So I pray that you would have that today. Maybe you feel like there's a block today with your relationship with God. I don't know why, and you don't know why, but God does, and I believe he wants to speak to you today. So that comes to the last point that I have is that he has made us alive with Christ. He's made us alive with Christ. It says in verse, in verse four and five, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Now Jesus talking to Nicodemus in John 3 Nicodemus was a teacher of the law and he was interested in Jesus and saying, okay, how are you doing these, these miracles? I know that these are from God, but tell me, and this is what Jesus said. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is something that only God can do where he regenerates and, and, and makes us alive when we're dead, that he brings us back to life. And this is the, 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 the meaning of Easter is that Christ's resurrection is our resurrection too. 
It says that Christ was made alive and we are made alive with him. It said that Christ was raised from the dead and that we also were raised from the dead. It says that Christ was seated at the right hand of God and we also were seated at the right hand of God. So that's, we were made alive, church. We're made alive. That's good news today. Man, so what do we do? How are we born again? Well, we receive this free gift of grace. We receive it by his invitation to reject the ways of the world, the flesh and the devil and to say, Lord, I confess I'm spiritually dead and I wanna receive this free gift. I wanna receive your love today. And so maybe that's you today. Maybe you look at the meaning of Easter that you were dead, but God made us alive with Christ and you can feel within you not just my voice, but there's a voice inside, almost like a knocking on the door that says, I feel like I'm spiritually dead. And Christ is knocking on the door of your heart saying, would you let me in today? I believe that's you. And maybe that's not you. And maybe today you've come here and said, I believe that I'm spiritually alive, but I feel like there's a block. And in a moment, we're gonna have our prayer and prophetic team up here. And in fact, can we have the band come up? And we're about to enter into a time of responding to God's word. Just saying, God, would you thank, would you, would you remind us and would you help us to be thankful for what you've done? But if there's a block that you have, maybe you need someone to pray with you and say, let's go to God. And maybe he would give you a word or a scripture or an encouragement that could be like my brother and unlock the script for you. And then maybe you're in this place and like, I believe that I am alive in Christ, but I have trouble believing that. Well, we're about to go on a six-week journey of learning what it means to be in Christ, an identity in Christ. And we never move beyond this. Just like a basketball player, even if they're a pro, never moves beyond dribbling, or a major league baseball player never moves beyond playing catch, we will never move beyond meditating and practicing our identity in Christ. So we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna, in the next six weeks, we're gonna go through what does it mean for us to practice meditating in our identity in Christ. Okay, so I wanna invite you to come back next week, but I'm gonna go ahead and have you stand and we're gonna respond to God's word. And so if I'm gonna have our prayer team up here. Thank you, Zach. So I'm just gonna give some room for you to contemplate, God, what are you saying to me? I really do believe what I said at the beginning that God has something for all of us today. So Spirit of God, would you come and would you speak to us today? I'm just getting a picture of uh, someone digging a shovel uh, into dirt. And as I dig and dig and dig, there's, they, they hit a casket. And I believe it's uh, the picture of Jesus digging, 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 digging. And he's been digging for you and fighting for you. When you haven't known it, you haven't felt it, but he has been pursuing you. And just another kind of picture is, is of that same, that soil, the Lord is just, tending up the soil and actually some hardships in your life are tending up the soil, but he's here to bring healing and actually sow seeds 
of the gospel, so seeds that will bear oaks of righteousness, so seeds that will bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold, so seeds of the kingdom into your place of wounding. And if that's you today, I just encourage you to say yes. Just to say yes. Maybe you need to come to the front in the moment. And then there's others of you that, and if you just feel like the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart, you're saying, Lord, I'm spiritually dead, but I wanna know you. Just invite you right now, just by act of faith, just to, you know, with all eyes bowed, just to raise your hand. Say, Lord, that's me. Lord, that's me. I wanna know you. I wanna follow you. If that's you, just whatever words come up out of your heart, but just to say, yes, Jesus, I want you. And I believe that you died for me. And I wanna follow you. I want you to live with inside. I wanna be united with you again in my deepest places, in my soul. So wherever you're at today, just encourage you to respond.